Welcome to episode three of LeaderPod. In this episode, we take a diversion from our history and leadership theory, and we hear from Kevin Davis, who is the chief executive of the Vines Trust and is chair of the Ladder Network. We're in the business of community transformation. We've gathered together the public, the private, and the third sector together to say what can we do to transform our community. This zone embraces the nurturing of social enterprises and social entrepreneurs with a real heart for the restoration of a local economy. One that will enable the whole community to learn, work, grow, and play together almost like a, a new village for the 21st century. Social enterprise is very important for a local economy. And, and what I mean by this is not for profit and profit for purpose. And what we want to do across the Black Country LEP is scale up the amount of social enterprise so that it achieves and delivers even more. Kevin Davis at the Vine Trust has shown great leadership has set up a social enterprise zone, uh, supporting people to set up their own social businesses. At the LEP we thought this was such a fantastic initiative, what we've done is rolled it out right across the patch. So we've set up a social enterprise cabinet, eight agencies, all of us doing what Kevin does in Walsall, and scaling up what social enterprise can contribute to the economy. Accord is one of these agencies, We've got a social incubator unit over at Darleston and we're supporting about 40 people setting up their own social businesses at the moment. A new type of school where young people can learn not just the classics and the academics but also how to live and work for today. Here at Walsall Studio School in Sixth Form, our Social Enterprise Academy is right at the heart of our curriculum. Many of our students will have weekly work placements with social enterprises locally. Because young people are looking for new opportunities and they really do need to see social change. Increasingly, of course, now they have the drive and the will to actually see it come about. Young social entrepreneurs are people who want to change the world, but they're people who are passionate about their local community. We are here to nurture, instruct and challenge young people so that they develop their social enterprise ideas. With our support, we want to make sure that those ideas become their reality. Our studio school is at the heart of our zone and we've encouraged entrepreneurs, large corporates to be part of what we're trying to do here in this area. Notable academic institutions are adding their value to what we're doing. We're attracting businesses to co-locate to the area. Performing arts are a key part of our zone. Also places to eat, work and play. It's a fantastic facility right here in the centre of Warsaw. It's absolutely brilliant. I mean, the theatre's lovely. The auditorium here is just superb. The facilities are brand new, they're functional, they're modern, and very comfortable, and this is a great venue, and I think more people should know about it and come and experience what is goldmine. The economy of together is where no one is exploited. It's an economy where everyone can live, work, and play together. It's an economy where everyone is a winner, where everyone can benefit.
So good afternoon, Keith. Are you well? Okay. Um, my name is Kevin Davis. I'll, I'll hopefully this will be uh, not an expert telling you something you don't know. Maybe hopefully it will be edifying for you. But I also say um, the expression is one beggar telling another beggar where the food is at. Right. That we're all on this journey trying to discover what it is to try and get through life. And uh, I'm certainly still on, on that journey. And I'm, I'm grateful to the invite from Keel, um, Dr. Foster and his colleagues, for allowing me just to share a little bit about our journey. That video was done, my goodness, um, must be five years ago. A few more grey hairs since that time. Um, but it, it still sort of paints the context in terms of what I'm going to be hopefully talking to you about over the next uh, three hours, if that's okay. <laughs> Not quite, but um, we'll all give me the nudge if I'm, if I'm going on a bit or if some of you start nodding off. Um, I suppose to describe um, me in some respects and hopefully to help us on this journey on the conversation about leadership, complexity and inclusion, um, I think I would describe myself in the business of community transformation as, as alluded into in the, uh, in the presentation. Um, as a CEO of a social entrepreneurial group, um, like many social businesses, our businesses are created out of a social need to tackle social problems, to improve communities, and better people's life chances or the environment they live in. Uh, the Vintrust Group seeks to create environments where people are free to work, live, play, learn, and worship. And this agenda was initially derived by our early work looking particularly to improve young people's environments uh, by transforming education, um, employment, entertainment, and a whole wide of uh, personal and social issues. And um, it's not just a professional calling for me, um, but I would say it's a, a wider personal calling, if you will, the resin detra as to why I left uh, the official rat race some Ooh, 20, 22 years ago now, I suppose, um, in the pursuit of this uh, wider uh, agenda. And I've, I've gathered over that time empirically that in order to affect environmental and social change, the challenge uh, that we're talking about in terms of community transformation, uh, for the sake of the young people that we're working with and therefore the sake of our society's future, um, it requires leadership that is wider and beyond even what I do individually, and to try and create a narrative that embraces a sort of cross-sector, that's public, private, civil society, to work together, um, establishing a, some sort of compelling argument and a common and narrative through win-win solutions, if at all possible. And I suppose this has been reflected in some of the roles that I've been uh, taking, uh, even today, which I'll expand upon later. Um, as per the screen, I have other interests that align with that um, objective. So, um, as described there, I, I, I sit on the, the Black Country Local Enterprise Partnership Board. Um, just, does everyone know where the Black Country is? All right, there's a quick pop quiz. What are the four constituent um, areas of the Black Country? Sanwell. Yeah, I'm just, just checking, because it's very rural around here, and I wasn't sure uh, uh, who my audience was. But the black country is, is um, 
the centre of the universe, as we would say. It was the heart of the Industrial Revolution. And in some respects, we're looking for a new type of revolution, which isn't just about pure, hard economics, but about how can we try and make this world a better place, which sounds a bit motherhood and apple pie, but um, if, if we don't do it, then who's going to do it? Right? And as you, as the, the business leaders of the future, I salute you, you guys are in that pivotal place or maybe the generation that you're going to inform and influence to try and see if we can do things better, differently, and hopefully together. Other things, um, I work with the CEO of Birmingham City Council to try and set up um, a school of social entrepre entrepreneurs, which we developed from a, a model in London, and that was created a few years ago and still operating now. Um, finding the... the the diamonds in the rough, people who've got some creative ideas but need them to be sustainable and try and do it in a, in a commercial way that allows it to ha add value not just to themselves but to the communities that they're working in. Um, just a, a very quick run through um, some of the work of the Vine Trust. So we mentioned in, back in that presentation about uh, a school, Water Studio School. In fact, that's the second school I created. The first school was in the independent sector, working with particularly harder to educate young people. Um, over the years now, which I'll expand on a bit later, we now have a multi-academy trust, uh, a joint venture with, between us and the Queen Mary's Foundation that includes a diverse mix of schools and different pedagogical approaches from two uh, selective grammars, two comprehensive schools, the studio school, and our more recent um, creation, which is the Ladder School, which is a, a 14 to 19 alternative provision school, again, working for young people who perhaps need a bit more out of life and trying to encourage them to enter into the world of work maybe sooner rather than later, avoiding some of the challenges that they've, they've faced in mainstream academic learning. Um, next bit is, and I'll, I'll talk a bit about this, um, our employment um, strand. Um, we'll mention the Ladder. Um, the ladder started in London back in 2012 with the Evening Standard newspaper, um, trying to encourage employers, big and small, to try and um, take on an apprentice. At the time, youth unemployment was pretty high in the city of, of London, and they wanted to encourage as many employers from the likes of Metro Bank and Goldman Sachs down to the, the plumbers in Shoreditch to say, let's invest into our young people. That campaign has gone out across the country. Uh, our latest version has, has been in Greater Birmingham. Again, uh, target of the last year was trying to create a thousand new apprentices and, and we, we probably will be there by the end of, of December. But using the platform of print and <coughs> online media to be that gathering point so people can have the conversation, whether it's from civil society, the chief execs of councils or local enterprise partnerships, but also people in, in industry as well. Um, I have set up businesses. Some have worked and some haven't worked. Some of them I've got to start up and then they've operated for three or four years and then they've ceased their purpose. Others are still going. But at the gut of me is about trying things. And I would say, um, yes, there are things which you regret in terms of how things may have ended up, but I would say everything is a learning experience. And for an entrepreneur, um, they will try myriad of ways to try and... Um, impact the, the market they're, they're involved in, and, and much the same for a social entrepreneur. And uh, from setting up restaurants um, that will employ harder to um, employ young people, 
um, whose um, output isn't particularly great in terms of their customer service, but we've got to work with them. And having those as environments that allow people to meet and eat, create that sense of community, we've done that. <coughs> we've built facilities that in areas which people wouldn't want to have de developed um, by putting the, the seed capital in and then encouraging people to co-locate around that locality when people didn't want to work in those particular locations, like the Goldman Centre, which was mentioned earlier on, like Vine Access Centres, like um, um, other restaurants in, in the area. And then also, to keep the lights on, offer services that support maybe other charities around human resources, finance, quality assurance, etc., etc. So a whole diverse way of trying to create a sense of community but make it sustainable uh, for, for the long term. Right. That lady in the corner is my dear departed Granny Doris. And um, Doris, um, she passed away in March of this year. And uh, she was a, a faithful woman in the, in the strictest sense of the word. Um, we used to talk about the work we're doing, and um, as a faithful Christian, she would describe some of our work as seeking the peace and prosperity of the city, which is taken from a, a biblical scripture about um, seeking the peace and prosperity of the city where you have been exiled. Now, whilst I'm not an exile, my heritage through Granny Doris was from Jamaica, and uh, um, I had the privilege of, of reading out her, her eulogy and a tribute to, to the, the many years she'd been uh, over here, probably nearly 60 years um, she was in, in, in the UK, and still didn't master the black country accent. It was still, Kevin, what are you doing? That sort of thing, right? Um, that's, that's Jamaican accent, by the way, folks, yeah. And, uh, uh, but I yeah, loved it dearly. And um, she was of that generation of the Windrush folks, who came over at, from the request of the uh, British government at the time to try and fill in some of the skills um, gaps, doing some of the jobs that local indigenous British folk didn't want to do. And um, they didn't have a warm welcome in, in, in many cases. And particularly when I was reading out the eulogy, just refreshing myself about some of the stories she told me as, as a grandson about when they came into um, the UK. Um, my granddad had already gone ahead they couldn't find adequate and suitable accommodation. And God bless the, uh, the Asians who came here before because they'd opened up their homes. But again, they weren't the best facilities because what would happen is you'd probably have three or four families living in one um, house with sometimes uh, in, uh, two families in one room with only a curtain separating them. And that was the sacrifice they had made to try and... Um, invest into the, the future generations. And I'm sort of 2.5 generations because my parents came um, when, they were, when they were pretty young as well. Um, greeted with signs that said, um, no dogs, no Irish, and no blacks. And um, those conventional tenancies were a godsend to us, but weren't, weren't, weren't great at all. And how things have changed. Have they? In many of, I was today talking uh, to some prospective parliamentary candidates uh, for our locality, and I gave them a chance to speak to a number of community workers who were saying, we have still got challenges in, in the UK today where people without settled status are impoverished, cannot access the system, and we need to do something about it because it's falling on the likes of organisations like ours 
who are picking up the pieces and making sure people are fed, their kids are educated, that they have heating and lighting. Such is the challenge of 21st century Britain, which I think is a scandal. And it is why we need to try and change the narrative of the economies that we're working in at the moment. Okay. Um, my raison d'etre is some of that stuff. Some of Granny Davis's struggles. Some of it about me as a young, skinny, still skinny, black kid from Karma, trying to work out what it is to be in life, looking at some of my contemporaries who made uh, poor decisions with their life and have probably reaped the whirlwind in their 40s, nearly 50s, because of that. But through the work that we've done, and I've done over the last nearly 20 years, is, is trying to invest back into our communities and maybe investing into the next Kevin, um, like uh, Keanu Chang, who um, was the first head boy of our studio school, uh, a kid from Wolverhampton, with, with, again with Jamaican heritage, um, or setting up schools like the Ladder School, Second Chances to work with our young people. So I've been asked to talk about leadership, complexity, inclusion, and I wanted that just to be a little foundation in terms of the context in which I will hopefully explore this, this conversation, this journey, this discussion with, with, with yourselves over the, the next few minutes. These three elements are rooted for me, I suppose, in that social entrepreneurial journey, which started in a pub. And it's, it's, it's not a joke, or a good joke, starting a pub, don't they, right? In 1997. And um, I had made a choice to leave the rat race. And then once I, was, I was a process design manager in the telecoms industry. I'd been a university and whatever else, and I wanted to make a little money, right, to try and do stuff. But my little bit on the side was that I'd helped a little charity uh, in, in the Walsall Town Centre uh, part-time, um, we used to go and play pool with the kids and, uh, and just be a mentor and a support for them. And then one day, one of the uh, trustees says to Kevin, we need your help. Um, the manager at the time, I've had enough. Do you think you could do something with it? And um, you know what? I had a sort of epiphany, a moment where I said, let me take a year out right? and see what I can do because the charity was, was, was in trouble at the time. And... Um, I did it, a year, just to say I'll take a year out. On the weekend, just before I was about to um, take on the job, I was greeted with this. Can you read that? Read it out for me, please. Christian Haven is a heaven for hookers. <coughs> now, the Vine Trust gets its name from the old pub that it took over. It was the worst pub in Warsaw. Drugs, prostitution, and violence. Some of you are saying that's, that's a really great pub, isn't it? No, it was, well, it was and it was shut down by the, by the police, and it lay derelict for some time. And then an old lady called Betty Deacon that ran the, the Guild for Voluntary Service said, what if we can turn this old pub into a meeting place for the community? Something for the young people to go to. And um, she went around trying to raise the cash and begging the brewery to give them the, the building. But in the end, they managed to secure it, and it ran as that, as almost like a drop-in centre for, for young people. But the interesting thing about where the pub was located was in a red light area. 
And what the work in time began to reach out to was trying to work with the street girls who were getting beaten up by the pimps uh, and the punters and had desperate, desperate life situations. And so they were supporting these young people. In the main, there were young, young girls. And so um, I was due to take over on the Thursday. The Sunday, I get a call from my aunt. Ring, 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 ring. Kevin, have you seen the, uh, the news of the world? I says, aunt, I don't read the news of the world, right? She says, well, well that charity that you, you've been supporting is in it. I says, what are you talking about? She says, well, what, what does it say? And he says, well, it's on page, I think, 7 or 11, what it was. Christian Haven, because it, the church has set up the, the facility, is a heaven for hookers. And they did this expose to say, how can these um, do-gooders work with these wretched people and, and so forth? And over, a, I think it was a number of weeks, we had the press from all over the, the region coming in and saying, what, what are you doing? And in some respects for us, looking back, it was a badge of honour for us, right? It was a badge of honour to say, yes, we are doing this stuff because no one else is doing that particular work. And um, for me, as a... Uh, I won't tell you how old I was, but I was... I was I'm doing this for 20-odd years. Um, I was thinking, what on earth have you done? Well, that's what my family was saying. Run, Kevin, run, run to the hills. Get away from this thing, right? But what happened in that time for us was really focusing on what we were about as an organisation. And um, we were help, be supportive of setting up a very specific work to work with street girls, but also allowed us to focus on some of the themes that allowed us to do what we're doing uh, today. When the kids were coming into uh, the Vine pub, as it was at the time, where we got our name from, just playing pool with them, just give them a glass of pop, uh, and it was a pub without beer. I see some of you shaking, but that, you know, that's, what we, that's what it was. It, it, it was something, but it wasn't enough. All right? And um, we became increasingly frustrated that we couldn't answer the questions and the problems that these young people were presenting to us. So we had a, a refocus to say, what can we do? What have we got in our hands? We've got a building. We've got some willing people. We've got some strong relationships with the community and, and voluntary sector. What can we do to try and address those issues? And the issues were life stinks at home for me. I can't get a job because I haven't done well in school. And school doesn't work for me anyway. So we came across these themes. Um, Karma was such, such a diverse area. Probably we've got 10 different religions all operating in the same space. And having those groups, how they collaborate and work together was, was, was a challenge for us and for them. And so we came across, which are still the themes of the Vine Trust 20-odd years later, we're in our 30th year, work, live, play, learn, and uh, worship. And this work which is in line with sort of seeking the peace and prosperity of, of a city, needs to involve not just us, but the city. Every player, every citizen, everyone who, who signs up their card and says, I'm of this community, I'm of this town. And we need to try and, and endeavour to create a narrative that allows them to play their role. And it's, it is a symphony with many notes, with lots of players in it. And it is 
complex with lots of moving parts. And we need to know to how to navigate those things, um, knowing what your roles and capabilities are. And it, it is critical. And I found this in my uh, journey, how you lead in those situations. Some of the things you can directly do, some of them you have to inform and influence others to try and get them to do the things that you think you're called to do. So, how do you lead? Rhetorical question. Um, how do you lead into your own corporate situation? I imagine you've, you've all come from various diverse situ uh, situations, maybe some public sector, private sector people, maybe some community volunteer sector folks as well. And um, what I've gathered, which is important um, for everyone, and I'm sure you know this as well, is creating reflection time to think about these sort of things. What sort of leader I am? How do I lead um, into situations? And when I was doing my MBA, so I, I feel your pain, folks, I feel your pain, right? Uh, I was at Aston Business School. Uh, in terms of leadership, I found this chart as, as a useful um, chart for me in detailing the part um, how one leads oneself in leadership and how it then uh, uh, translates into our operational and business and strategic spheres. And I think all leaders, CEOs, MDs, whatever leadership role you have, I think we need to understand how those particular uh, spheres work. And for me, um, leading wasn't just about my staff team, but it's also how I'd influence, whether it was at the palace or Downing Street or at City Hall, or private or industry sector leaders to try and work out how we can try and make this uh, a win-win for, for all of us together. Now, whilst I am a people leader or, or aspire and try to be, uh, and, a, and a leader of business opportunities, the most inspirational area for me is the area of, of strategic leadership. and Because I, I really want to affect societal change. And when I was sitting in the pub back in the day, I knew as much as we, the great things we were doing, in some respects they were just uh, sticking plasters for a bigger societal challenge. And, in, and if we're going to do something, we're going to have to try and create that narrative that allows uh, people to get on the journey with us, it, it, albeit how complex and albeit how, how challenging. In my studies I came across um, uh, a story in 2004. He, he wrote that there is a fundamental dilemma that leadership development is perceived as just doing rather than knowing with a bias towards activity and little time for reflection or strategic thinking. And I hope throughout your MBA time you'll have that space to think. Not just think I've just got to get through this, uh, this thing because work's forcing me to do it or I've paid so much money to do it or whatever it is. Take this as an opportunity to, to do some strategic thinking about life. You may... You, know, you might be shaking what I'm saying. You may, not think, you may end up somewhere else and somewhere different to where you are at the beginning. And maybe I hope you will do, not just professionally, but in there, and dare I say it, in there as well. Uh, it's, uh, it's interesting. I'm still working on the balance of my leadership spaces. And whilst I was doing my uh, MBA, I was a, still a full-on CEO with extensive community roles. Uh, I foolishly, foolishly moved house in that time as well, and then um, <coughs> foolishly then had a surprise baby, 
Um, yes, whilst moving house. And, um, but creating the MBA-led uh, space uh, for self-reflection was, was important, albeit challenging, and was vital for my ongoing planning. Um, my MBA studies created the space for me to reflect on those leadership styles, aims, and objectives, and, and help me to analyse what sort of leader I am, what sort of leader I, I, I could be, what sort of leader others thought I was as well. And I'm not familiar with the whole curriculum of what you're doing with, with Keel, although I wave uh, the Team Aston, Team Aston flag, right? Um, MBAs, um, I think, are, are a useful tool for your own personal and uh, professional development. Okay. This emphasis on, on self, for me, was important because um, if, if I don't get myself right, then the ripples of my, uh, uh, the efficacy of my ripples go out and potentially could have a negative impact on those around me and ultimately the message of uh, where I want to be and what I want trying to achieve. And uh, this little schematic here, the three levels of, of leadership, um, I, I think you pronounce it scowler, S-C-O-U-L-L-E-R-S, wrote that the development of self is a pebble and it is the most important and foundational to effective leadership. And a good leader, without this foundation, the rest falls and fails. The pebble represents the inner, the personal leadership and the ripples to the two outer private and public le levels. Helpful inner change and growth will affect outer leadership positively. Negative inner, ch inner change will cause the opposite. And I think that space for reflection has enabled me, as I said, not just to influence and inform those around me, my staff, uh, my peers, but also the narrative into that wider public dimension, which it, for me is that space where we want to try and make the, the world a better place. So beyond self, I would also say having the right people around you is, is also critical. When I started in our group, we had a £60,000 turnover. 22 years, um, there'll be probably closer to £35 million, largely because of the, 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 the mat and the school's work. But back then, my very small team, what I call my in-group, um, offered their loyalty because they believed in our vision. It wasn't a transactional relationship, um, um, because when they came to us, they were salary poor. Um, amiably qualified people, like me, they gave up well-paid jobs because they believed in the mission of community transformation and how things have changed over those 22 years, particularly in some parts of the group. Because as we grew, um, rising to the transformational challenge, we needed more staff um, who were more technically qualified for some of the areas of activity that we were um, going into, particularly our schools work or um, the catering industry or employment training work. And in many cases, we either inherited staff that didn't have the same um, altruistic zeal as some of our early um, uh, adopters, as it were. And because of our growth, despite our efforts, we couldn't be as choosy as we would have hoped to um, at the time. Um, according to your call, most leaders establish a special exchange relationship with a small uh, number of trusted followers who function either as assistants or advisors. And that was the sort of in-group that we're talking about. And there, in my sort of original pioneers and more recent staff, um, the out-group um, 
because as things grew, you have less impact on those because they're not in your proximity anymore. And as business leaders, you have to work, particularly if, you, if you've got any, is it, is it all, any startup entrepreneurs in, in here or is it, no? Well, particularly when you start a business or a family business, you have a very close knit team that you can rely on. As things grow, you have to try and develop a culture that allows the values and, and um, the positive attributes of what you had when you started the, the business or operation to flow and, and uh, cascade into the other folks. And that is, that is a huge challenge. and something I've got the scars in the diff different ventures that we've gone through to try and learn and to navigate. As I said, when we were small, working with hard-to-educate young people, it was a labour of love for, for many of our staff. And when we grew and absorbed larger, particularly um, some of the more general schools, we inherited staff who didn't have the, the same values or agenda. Um, on complexity, um, we live in a very messy, bitty world, and the sort of work we've done with our young people keeps us honest because they're presenting us the real challenges of life in many respects. And um, I think what we need to do is, as best as possible, try and not have that chaos in our own individual personal uh, lives. As I said, four years ago, I finished my, my uh, uh, MBA. And um, I, I did my MBA not because I was looking and seeking to do it, is because I got a call from Aston University, because I was, I, was, I was a visiting industrial fellow at the time, and says, do you fancy doing the, uh, the MBA? And I said, how much? And they went, and then in the end, it was a scholarship, which I was very grateful for. Um, but at the time then, still trying to create the space, it was like crazy, right? Um, but, but I used it for um, helping me um, with, with my endeavors. And I did it part-time, uh, I didn't have a lot of, I was still opening the second school, developing the social, uh, the multi-academy trust, um, and, and still having my little son running around the place at Naya Maya, having a very understanding wife and, 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 and uh, my two daughters as well. Um, but it came at the wrong time. Uh, I don't think there's... Maybe, maybe there isn't a the right time for doing these things, perhaps. I don't know, right? Uh, but it certainly wasn't... It didn't seem like the right time. But um, having... Supportive people around you was important. And interestingly, uh, Granny Doris, right, uh, when I used to go around her to her house, she was a, a great outlet for me just to, to chill out. And um, she'd have some certain pastimes, other than watching the racing, because she was a, uh, a gambler, I would say. <laughs> she, she used to put, like, like watching the horses. Uh, but she used to have a, a colouring book, right, which she used to, to colour. And she wouldn't have described it and this, but... On the front of the cover was something called mandalas. Have you come across mandalas? Like these um, concentric circles, and it's supposed to be very therapeutic and, and de-stressing of, uh, of life. Uh, but the mandala was one of the concepts that we developed uh, and looked at in my own MBA, because um, we had a, a mindfulness section in our MBA. Do you have a mindfulness? You don't? And it sounds a bit um, um, spiritual and out there, and I suppose it is to some extent, because it's, it's something about your inner journey as well, which is, I think is, is an important thing for, for all of us. And, and you know, I have a faith journey, but some of you may not, or some do, but something about looking within yourself is important. And initially I approached it thinking, oh gosh, another newfangled something or other to do, right? But it was a very, very helpful uh, thing for us to do. Um, this is the copyrights and that 
credit to Aston and whoever else, um, Keel. Um, but that was one of the things that said, actually, put yourself at the centre and look at the concentric circles, much like the, that previous uh, Scowler uh, chart I'd shown you, and look at how you relate to the world, how you relate to those around you, what particular aspects of your life um, need impacting. And then they asked us as a challenge to, to develop our own uh, mandalas to that effect. And it, um, I'm not the most creative, artistic person, so I did have a go. And um, no laughing, please, right? Uh, this was my mandala, right? Seems a bit clinical. What I did do was had me at the centre, but looked at the things which I thought were important to me, my personal, personal um, aspirations around my family, my um, uh, love of my um, parents, uh, grandparents. Um, I have a big sibling family and trying to reach out to make sure that we still stay connected or we live in different parts of, of, of the country. That was important for me. My home, making sure I spend enough time with the kids and, and my wife, do the jobs that my wife want me to do and not keep putting them off because I'm trying to change the world. Making sure I've got enough leisure time, so playing badminton and, and cycling. Um, making sure I look after my health was, was important. Um, having my um, date nights with my wife, important, so you know, I wasn't just neglecting her and home life. Um, this is big society stuff, yes, trying to change the world. Making sure I'm still a good businessman, making sure I, I get the investments in. Um, whether it's raising um, multi-millions for the buildings that we're, we've been developing or making sure keeping the bank manager happy that we're giving the returns and the investors get the return that they want and also in my own personal finances to making sure I get that balance right. What I did with that around my mantle was then put some rag rating on it. At that particular point in time, how did I feel those things were? So clearly there was no reds on there, which was, which was, which was great, but the ambers were the ones where I had some issues and I wanted to put some attention to. So that was my little old mandala. And then around the outside, I put those themes of work, live, play, learn and worship. Because if that was the themes I was thinking about for the society I was living in, I was also reflecting how it worked for me as well as an individual. How long have I got left? It's all right. <laughs> okay. Inclusion. The World Bank defines... Inclusion, well, let's say social inclusion, as the process of improving the terms on which individuals and groups take part in society, improving the ability, opportunity and dignity of those disadvantaged on the basis of their identity. I use, I use the term a few times, the economy of together. And um, for me, that is a, a strong dynamic uh, for trying to affect these issues of inclusion for me personally and part of the narrative which I communicate beyond that. When I joined the, the LEP, the Local Enterprise Partnership in the Black Country, uh, which aims to create the conditions for enterprise to flourish, uh, uh, trying to create greater economic prosperity across our, our region, um, it, it was my economy of together agenda which attracted some of the board members of the LEP because, yes, we'll talk about how many Jaguar jobs we can create and uh, how many homes we can build, but is the economy that they're articulating an economy which is inclusive for every citizen within a locality? And, yes, we will have the 
four local authority leaders on the board, and yes, we'll have some um, impressive industry people on there. But what about those people that are really thinking about how it affects Keanu Chang or, or Doris down the road, or the asylum seekers, or just everyday folks who just want to get on with life? How can we create that uh, better and inclusive economy? Now, when I was asked to take on this sort of role, the portfolio was social mobility, social inclusion, economic inclusion. And I had to pause for, to some respect because I'm thinking, is this, am I biting off more than I can chew? Are folks going to glaze over when you talk about that because it, it feels a bit amorphous and is it, is it just motherhood and apple pie and folks are, are focused on, well, I've got to spend this ESF money by next year and uh, we've got to make sure we get the transport route sorted and that is it, right? But what I've learned over 20 odd years is to try and be persistent, uh, tenacious, uh, and a plain nuisance, I would say, to folks to say, this is, this, this is really important. And actually, it's not just important to me, it's, it's important to you as well. Let me help you on that journey to show you that if I can show uh, you how it's important to, to you, then it is that win-win uh, solution as well. So how do we make it more tangible for folks? Well, let me bring you right up to, to, to today. In that opening video, you would have seen um, some of the, the high street of Warsaw uh, Town Centre, right? And um, which is in decline, like many a high street across our, our town. You'll find the odd ones with a nice eclectic mix of independence and you've got that nice feel with the coffee shops and stuff. But a lot of them uh, are empty, empty shops or lots of discount pound shops, and that's about it. And there is a big challenge across our country at the moment about what do we do about the high street, right? And so they are throwing millions, or promising millions, depends on what the end of the election is next week, for high street regeneration. And fortunately, in our locality, we have um, our metro mayor is someone who's been in retail, Andy Street, and he's taken a particular interest in, in Warsaw to see what can be done. And it is a beyond retail um, answer. And that's the direction where we're going. So it's more than just trying to get the best well-known shops into the locality. It's not a case of build it and they'll come. We have to do something that is beyond uh, retail. And um, this particular agenda of the high streets, funny enough, has now come into my portfolio area. How can that be? Am I a great retailer? And uh, uh, No, I haven't. Uh, no, I'm not. Um, I have worked with retailers. Um, um, getting them apprentices in, in IKEAs across the country, having to set uh, apprenticeship initiatives with them in, in, uh, in, in, the, in Ireland and in France, doing all sorts of things about how can we make um, um, employment work for young people in, in their particular settings. But not, not a a large-scale retailer at all. But what I do have is a love for, for communities. What I do know is my own experience of what I want out of a, a town. But what I also have is the connectivity with different groups, public sector, private sector, civil society, to say, can we have that conversation to see what we can do together, pulling on our own individual resources to try and, and make things work. And the, the thing about the high street is 
I talked about, I said this social mobility thing is, is and income inclusion is a bit amorphous in some respects, but the high street could make it tangible in some respects because around the left board, you'll have private uh, businesses, but you'll also have the public sector who are desperate for um, something to happen within their high street, and they know it's beyond retail. So what we're doing in the black country is using the high street as a focal point to try and articulate what an inclusive economy could look like. Because in our high street, you've got a school. In our high street, you've got um, people of community groups. In our high street, you've got all the themes of work, live, play, learn, and worship. And how can they then be part of that story to magnify what they do? Let me give you one example. So this morning I was talking to some um, uh, traditional church leaders. And um, they have a high street presence on some of their traditional festivals. So Christmas and Easter. Easter is probably the bigger one for them, where they have a, a sort of passion play with a, an enactment of, uh, of the cross. And they have, you'll have probably about 1,000 people turn up in Warsaw High Street. And they go down. And I said to these church leaders this morning, I said, what if you guys, because you're going to do it anyway, and you're very um, passionate about your own festival and making sure that the message uh, is clear. But what if that focus also was on the traders in that locality? What if those traders who saw the footfall of those thousand people uh, coming into the town could also uh, be attracted to each other? Those traders, for example, would say, well, if you're coming anyway, why not come into our shop and we'll give you 10% off something or other, right? Creating that connection between the two that perhaps haven't really spoken on a more organised and dedicated way. And then whilst you're there, if we're having the Easter people there, why not let's have a, an Easter market, right? We used to be known for markets in our, in our day and have Easter wares, and it'd be an attractional point for people to come into, the, into that locality. And then suddenly you've got a connection between one community and a, uh, who, who want to get a message out and a, another community that's trying to trade and keep themselves going. And you create uh, sparks which perhaps you wouldn't have had happened before. And it's things like this that we are endeavouring to do. So the changing moods, there's three themes that we're working on. Changing moods, so it is about festivals, whether that is around the traditional ones that I've just talked about, or a food festival, or a, or a housing festival, because the high street will have to be more than retail, and think not the gentrification of a locality, but bringing people in there so they can live in a locality. It's about changing spaces, so it will be physical, um, cleaning areas up, infrastructure, making sure that we've got our 5G and super fast broadband in a locality. But it's also about changing the voices. Who are making the decisions about the communities? Not just retail that's long gone. It's not just the councillors. It is everyone, the economy of together. I'm just going to close with, with uh, some of these little thoughts here. So I told you about the ladder. Um, so I had, I've had mixed experience with newspapers, as you can imagine. So the first time I started with the News of the World, who, this is interesting, 14 years after they put that article, to the, to the week they went out of business. And I'd like to say that was a bit of a, the, the universe working a, a for us, right? But they went out of business, right, to, to the week. But I now work with the Evening Standard, uh, with Reach, that's the umbrella organisation for uh, the Mirror, and they own the majority of regional newspapers across the country. Uh, and Miller's News uh, Association to try and do um, periodical campaigns to try and encourage the takeover of apprenticeships 
not just at a, a level two, level three, but degree apprenticeship as well. But in that journey of doing these things, you have around the table the mayor, um, the, uh, the, the uh, uh, educational institutions, private training providers, and private industry all having conversations which aren't just about apprenticeships, but about what can we do next together. And for me, that is the important dynamic about trying to get us on the journey to do things together in order for us to have the next conversation, which is about the bigger thing that we're trying to, to do. And that's an important thing for us to do. Um, social mobility, you've heard that term before. Uh, Mr. Corbyn doesn't like um, the, word social, the term social mobility. He's more in favour of, of social justice, arguing that one doesn't necessarily lead to another. Um, because the dominant logic of around social mobility entails that the preservation of, of a perhaps unfair social hierarchies. Uh, it promises a society in which everyone, not everyone will flourish, but only a few. And mobility in these terms means, can mean from disadvantage to advantage, away from those who remain at the bottom and towards those who are to the, at the top. In essence, it's a maintenance of this sort of divide between the advantage and disadvantage. Um, that was November last year um, when we uh, launched the Ladder Foundation, uh, parliamentary launch. And again, it was an expression of all the, the players around the table, so the media, the politicians and, and civic society trying to work together. And um, it was this economy of together approach that we uh, endeavoured to, to push to say, folks, let's see if we can do something about this. Um, Owen Jones, that well-known uh, uh, commentator from the left puts it this way. He says, the appeal of social mobility can be seen as the idea of creaming off a small majority of able working class kids and cap catapulting them into the middle classes. For me, folks, the journey is still out on whether it's mobility or, 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 or justice. But do you remember I mentioned Keanu Chang at the beginning, that young uh, skinny black kid from, from uh, Wolverhampton at the beginning of my talk? That's Keanu there in the middle. Keanu now works at IBM on the South Bank. Um, he came to one of our schools without a chance. He would seem of, of, end up with a job um, that he's got with, uh, uh, with the university. And it came out with, the, with IBM. It came out of us bringing industry leaders into our area to have that conversation. So we managed to get the general manager of IBM to turn up. And I said to Keanu, go and get him. And these guys our six formers, had that opportunity to, to share their vision and their journey. And having gone to university, Keanu's now ended up um, at, uh, at IBM, uh, working very, very well. And I still, I still mentor Keanu today. What I do know is that Keanu was very grateful, as, as many of the students that we've worked with and the kids over the last 20-odd 20 20 years, um, and giving him a chance to display his potential, climbing that sort of ladder of opportunity was important. Um, social mobility for me maybe is what we can do now the social justice agenda our inclusion agenda is, is, a, is a more longer term endeavour thank you for listening I hope that was informative in part, I'm happy to take questions Will, how do you want to take that? Thank you.